Hello everybody. Once again, it's my joy and really my pleasure to speak to you and to take some wonderful teaching from the book of Second Thessalonians. As we noted last time, uh, this wonderful epistle was written about 50, 51 AD. And indeed, it was addressed to a church that was in the middle of all sorts of trials and persecutions and troubles and also suffering other internal difficulties in terms of their relationship with Jesus and their understanding of his coming. So welcome to part two of our study. And we're going to begin today by reading just a few verses from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We read as follows. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. So we have noted in our first study, which looked at the first chapter of Second Thessalonians, that in order to encourage the church in the light of their trials and persecutions, he is exhorting them to be faithful and to be true and to understand that even God uses these things in order to mature them and to grow them up in Christ. These people who were troubling the Thessalonian believers, Paul furthermore says, will suffer destruction on that day when Jesus comes in his flaming uh, fire with mighty angels to deal out retribution upon the ungodly. He also tells the Thessalonian believers that it is on this day that they will be resurrected and see the Lord Jesus in their glorified bodies for the first time. This is clearly stated. In chapter 2, the apostle now turns his attention to another issue that was facing the local church in that there were some in the church who were destabilizing it by claiming that Jesus could come at any time and in fact might have come. So they were so convinced that they were right, that they were to some degree living unruly lives by refusing to work, etc. Paul therefore puts pen to paper to correct their misguided theological position and to urge them to sober up and earn a living as the signs that have to take place in the world heralding the soon return of Jesus were not yet evident. That's very important. These people believed that Jesus could come at any time. They also believed that he might have come. And they were destabilizing the church with this eschatological teaching. And therefore, Paul urges them to sober up. And he tells them, that this is not true because the vital signs that herald Jesus coming are not yet evident in the world. This essentially means that the doctrine of any time imminence as relating 
to Christ's coming and which is still taught in many parts of the church is false. This is in fact a no-brainer as Jesus in his Olivet Discourse clearly taught that he would only come again a second time once certain signs, including that of the abomination of desolation, were evident in the world. So having said this, in terms of the background to the chapter, let's examine the text before us. So, my first point is words of introduction. Paul begins by headlining the subject matter that he is now about to address. And he puts it this way, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that's rapture, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and the rapture of the church, I want you to know the following. In other words, he makes it clear that he's now going to address the subject of the second coming of Jesus and the rapture, here referred to as our gathering together to him. Brings us to our next statement or headline, which is words of caution. He then goes on to urge them not to believe fanciful ideas about the rapture, whether presented by people who claim to have the Holy Spirit as revelation or who preach powerful sermons or who write books or letters on the matter. Because Jesus will not come a second time for his church until they witness a great falling away from the faith and the actual rise of Antichrist. This is what he says. That that day will not happen until there be a great falling away and the son of perdition has come. Let no one, he says, deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. These are the two great final signs heralding the coming of Christ. For his church. And that's what he says. In actual fact. This is exactly what has happened. The warning he's given. That people should not be deceived. This is exactly what has happened. In that the idea of a secret rapture. Seven years before the great falling away. And the rise of of the son of perdition has effectively deceived many and it has undermined Paul's words of caution here. The truth is the rapture of the church at the second coming of Jesus will only take place according to Paul once we witness a huge apostasy of falling away from the faith and the rise and deeds of the son of perdition, or the Antichrist, as John calls him in his first epistle. Paul is very clear about this. 
As an aside, it must be placed on record that the writings of the early church demonstrate that the first century Christians took the position that Paul takes on this matter and that the so-called pre-tribulation rapture teaching was initiated by a prophecy that a woman gave in a closed brethren meeting in Scotland in 1830. And many have been deceived by it. They're not looking for a great falling away for the rise of Antichrist. They're siding with the people who were troubling the church at Thessaloniki. Words of instruction is our next headline. Paul now seeks to equip them with truth so that if the son of perdition arises in their lifetime, they will be able to identify him. This means that most certainly the church is going to have to endure his antagonism and troubles. We need to know this more than ever as we see the day of his evil power approaching. This, my friends, as I've said before, is no game. So then the son of perdition, according to Paul, will be characterized by the following. One, he will oppose God. Two, he will sit in a rebuilt temple or third temple. Three, he will claim to be God. Four, he will show that he's demonstrated by supernatural powers, that he is God. Five, he will be inspired by satanic power. And six, he will be destroyed by the second coming of Christ. You can read all of that in verse 4 and verses 8 to 10. It's important to know this is what he tells them. This is what he tells them to look for so that they can discern him and recognize him when he steps onto the stage of history. He will oppose God. He will sit in the temple. He will claim to be God. He will show remarkable supernatural powers. He will be inspired by the devil, but he will be destroyed by Christ. So, we understand then that Paul, having underlined these things, then doubles down by saying, Do you not remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? So he underlines it. And obviously, when he visited there in his physical person, he went through this with them. So the question has to be asked, why would he treat this matter with such urgency if indeed they would be raptured before all of this? Why would he say, remember? When I was with you, I told you these things. 
Indeed, he told them these things to, to forewarn them and to forewarn us as to what we should look for before Jesus comes a second time. That, my friends, and that alone is the context of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. That leads me to words of explanation. He then says, and now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. So Paul also tells them that the rise of Antichrist, one of the validating signs that they are to look for, in terms of the second coming of Christ, is regulated by the sovereignty of God. He cannot step onto the stage of history when he wants to, though I believe with all my heart that the devil seeks to put him there sooner than later. No, his coming is regulated by the sovereignty of God. That is, a restraining factor is prohibiting this evil to arise before its time. This restraining factor in context cannot be the church because he has just affirmed that the church is to look for a great falling away and the deeds and the rise of Antichrist as the validating signs of Jesus coming. How can it do that if, in fact, it's not here? And if it's raptured beforehand? This is the very thing he warned them to resist, to believe that the church then is the restraining factor, is actually irrational in the simple understanding of the context. So then, the question has to be asked, what then is the restraining factor about which Paul speaks? The answer is, it is angelic. That is, the only restraining agents in the Bible are angels. There is no other restraining agent spoken of in the whole of the Bible. Consider this. They restrained the evil at Sodom and Gomorrah. Genesis 19. Two, they restrained evil in defense of Israel. Elisha had a servant who couldn't see that in the heavenlies, mighty angelic armies were all around them, resisting evil. They restrained the advance of the Medo Persian and Greek empires in Daniel's time, Daniel 10. They restrained the spiritual attacks of the powers of darkness against Jesus. After his temptations, the Bible says the angels came, they closed in with him, and they ministered to him. They protected him. They restrained the attempt by evil rulers to murder Peter, sitting in jail, waiting to be martyred. Angels 
sprung him free and restrained evil. They are presently restraining the kings from the east from crossing over the river Euphrates. Revelation 9, 13 to 15. A voice from heaven says, tell the four angels at the river Euphrates to move and to allow the kings of the east to come into the Middle East arena. And seventhly, according to Paul, they are restraining the rise of Antichrist. This is what he says. My, G my people, my friends, Jesus is coming. But Paul tells us there are two signs that we have to watch for. A great falling away in the church, the rise and the deeds of the son of perdition. When you see these, then he is coming. Now a word of exhortation. Paul then says, we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. In closing this section of his teaching, Paul reminds them that they could be deceived by the supernatural deeds and signs of the son of perdition if their lives are not anchored to the truths of God's word. Thus he adds another troubling sign to the coming of Christ by stating that deception will be rampant in the church. Jesus said the same thing in his Olivet Discourse, that if possible, he said, deception will be so rife that even the elect could fall for it. They are to be watchful, particularly as, again, God will allow this strong delusion to test the church. These days, I believe, are upon us and the true remnant is being separated from those that are false. He, moreover, gives thanks for them because he knows that they have clearly been elected by Jesus Christ to know the truth and to live it out through the process of sanctification. They must stand firm in the truth, knowing that it has the power to transform them into the glory of Jesus' character. Moreover, as they live out and stand in the truth, God, by Jesus Christ, will comfort, establish, and bless them in their good works. May these things be true of us. This is Malcolm Heading.